Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 545. And I'm not going to give a long intro here because this one's been a long time coming. If you're just tuning in, if you've not heard the Rosie Marcel episode on Wednesday, go back and listen to that or listen in any order, actually. In that episode, we discussed how we recorded an episode back in 2019 and we spoke about some really important stuff but we couldn't release it for a few different reasons but we're releasing it now and here it is as ever we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can get all your christmas goods patreon.com forward slash scroobius pipio and twitch.tv forward slash scroobius pip yo so the patrons just patreon.com forward slash scroobius pip my apologies check out pip's twitch clips on instagram and youtube uh for free but let's get on with the episode. As I said, this was recorded way back in 2019. I felt this conversation was really important. The discussions on mental health, the discussions on dogs, a lot of things discussed here made it feel like a genuine classic Distraction Pieces episode. And then we never got to release it, but that's all changed now. So um, get comfortable and have a listen. This is The Lost Episode, Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 545 with Rosie Marcel. rolling i'm here today with rosie marcel how are you i'm very good very good how are you i'm good we've just had to start recording because we were having too much of a catch-up just casually beforehand so i was like right we need to get get on mic we've missed some good stuff yes exactly but um (laughs) one thing that was it it was at the at the top of of my list to talk about because it's something i've been fascinated about for years but it's jumped even higher on the list because of the marks on your arm and your injuries so you've just got back from Romania and Romania the first time I toured over there I was fascinated by all of the street dogs and then hearing the story of the street dogs and for for people who don't know when Romania became a communist country and had kind of close to a dictatorship the people were moved out of their kind of more sprawling farm areas into tower blocks and all of the dogs became homeless because you couldn't have them in tower blocks and it meant it's a weird one because you. I spoke at the time to people f- f- from Romania and they said, and I saw a lot of this, but also a lot of not this, but how all the dogs became the responsibility of everyone. And it was kind of, the, they were looked after by everyone. And it was, there was a lot of wild dogs, but they were all, they were fed and mm. things like that. That's a hard thing to maintain when dogs are going to yes. breed and yeah. be wild and things like that. So whilst that was almost a beautiful folktale of how rather than having no owners they have yeah. everyone is their owner it has become a major kind of issue over there all the street dogs yeah. and that's the reason that you were over there and something yeah. i mean the reason that we're surrounded by dogs in, in, in your yes. in your house at the moment as well yeah um, so it was let's talk it, about that a bit. well it was an idea the whole you know everybody looking after everybody else's dogs but it was an idea that has uh, subsequently failed unfortunately yeah. because of not neutering no neutering programs and things like that and Romania although it has sort of been given money to deal with the dog problem as they see it and they do see it as a problem unfortunately yeah. now it's a dreadfully corrupt system, unfortunately, and you have a lot of people who are sort of taking money from the government and they are paid to take dogs from the street and put them in a pound. Mm. And then those dogs are uh, euthanised in inverted brackets yeah. after two weeks. Because that was all changed uh, recently, Fairly recently. That, I think it's within the last... There was a new law in the last year or two that yeah, was... Yeah, that two, if they're two not, years, If they're yeah. not homed within quite a short amount of time... Really short. Two weeks. It's euthanised. That's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely. So I I got involved with um, a company, I suppose, you know, charity called The Pack Project. Um, I just happened to see them on Instagram and I thought I'd love to be able to help or do something. I help another one called The Last Chance Hotel in Cornwall. Um, They're fantastic. It's very difficult for me to get down to Cornwall, obviously, as much as I'd like to. And they deal with pounds down there. And so the Pack Project, they go out to Romania and they go to the pound and they've partnered up with a lady called Delia out there who has her own sort of sanctuary as such. 
and they go to the pound and they pull dogs, as many dogs as they can that they think might have a chance of being rehomed. Mm -hmm. And they put them into Delia's place and then they are fed and they are cleaned and they are seen to by a vet and they're given all of their jabs and they're given a passport. And then we advertise them and, you know, we advertise what their problems are and we just try and get them homes in the UK or Germany or or wherever. We'll take them wherever they need to go. But um, they deserve more than two weeks in the pound and then put to sleep in not a nice way as far as I understand it. Yeah, completely. And it's, it's, it seems hard, it's, it's, it's hard at points to imagine how a society could, could look at dogs like that or think of dogs like that. But mm. you look at how we think of, of rats and that seems like an odd comparison, but rats sure. are something that have bred and are wild and yeah. can be the most adorable, beautiful pets when they're looked after and clean. So it's not that far a jump. If there is a wild dog problem or a homeless dog problem, that yeah. that's the way it would have, have, have gone. So it really is... We're living in fascinating times, I think, as far yeah. as animals go and animal husbandry goes and things like that. You know, look at the Yulin Festival. I mean, that's a country... What is... The know. Yulin Festival is a festival that takes place in... I think it's China, actually. I could be wrong. You might yeah. need to check this every year. And for two weeks, they eat dogs. Yeah. They, they slaughter them and their idea is that the meat is better if the dog is frightened. Oh, wow. So they it's do everything horrific, they possibly can to terrify that dog. Yeah. And to, uh, you know, they burn them alive. You know, it's, wow. it's, it's awful. And they're all terrified because they kill the dogs in front of the other dogs. Yeah. As such, this chap in Romania who runs his pound does the same thing and then wheelbarrows them past the dogs so they all know what's coming and they've all lost hope. But, you know, I, it's it? definitely something I think that every country needs to look at is how we treat our animals, how we treat our, the, our animals for consumption. Yeah. Everything can be done better as, as far as I'm concerned. You know, if they're going to continue to eat dog meat in China, have laws that govern the way they kill them. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's that simple. I, uh, I was looking at different uh, uh, Romanian dogs when I was prepping this because I, I just remember that when we were on tour there once, I met this three-legged a rescue dog and I figured out it was a, a Carpathian shepherd dog yeah and it was when it put its one front leg on my shoulder it was mm. towering over me it was They're this enormous. giant of a dog and they yeah. were, he was saying that they were bred to fight wolves and bears yeah even, in, in protect in, their sheep yeah, yeah. To, to protect the sheep and it was just amazing to see this and, and he was saying this dog when they rescued him had got so skinny mm. and was so was because it was just completely abandoned and yeah. And unlooked after. And that that whole concept, as we said, of everyone looks after the dog is is easy when there's a few. But even yeah. again, when you get to big dogs, the, they yeah. take a lot of looking after as Absolutely. well, even more so. So I think that the kind of push, it's becoming more prevalent, but I think it could be even more prevalent. In my circle of friends, we all kind of speak a lot of adopt, don't shop. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Which is a massive thing, but it's still every now and then I'll mention that and someone will be like, oh, right, no, I just got my my kids a a puppy from a breeder and things like that. And again, it's that simple thing of when there's so many dogs that need adopting, there's no need for for breeders. breeders. Breeders in general, even if they're certified, I'm kind of against, but there's a lot that aren't certified and therefore particularly with, again, partly the dawn of Instagram because Mm. of cute dogs that then get overbred and have really bad bad health issues. Yeah, so is 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 that as something that, that you've always been kind of passionate about? Because again, all of your dogs. Are, I mean, are, I've tried to, you res- know. Yeah. yeah, they're rescues of sorts. You know, yeah. Eric. Eric was the product of a divorce. You know, right. so he needed a home, so we had him. <laughs> yes. You know, Henry was the runt of a litter that nobody wanted because he had a broken tail and he was a funny shape. So we had him. Yeah. Kahiba's owner was dying of cancer and he needed a new home yeah. and so we gave him a home. Subsequently, she didn't die and she went on to buy two more dogs, so that's quite interesting. <laughs> and then, you know, Arthur is from Romania. He's yeah. from the Pat Project and he was a, lit- a litter found in a plastic bag in the woods behind the shelter. Wow. And um, originally called Aramis, but couldn't leave him with that name because it was the aftershave my dad used to wear. Um, <laughs> and so he aptly became Arthur. Yeah. You know, so no, I'm a big believer in in adopting. Um, I think breeding is about money. Yeah. I think a lot of things come down to money these days. Mm -hmm. I really, really do. You know, we have to pay to get the dogs out of the shelter. You'd think it would be free, but it's not. And I just think it's very sad. And I think, you know, we could be a little bit more like America, although America does have, you know, kill shelters and things like that. And their, their put to sleep policy is pretty rife as well. I think they've banned 
selling dogs in shops now or, or, or selling dogs right. altogether. It's Great, all about yeah. rehoming now. And I think we could certainly follow suit and also certainly have uh, tougher punishments for animal abusers as well. 100%. And I think people misinterpret rehome dogs or, or rescue dogs mm-hmm. and thinking that they're dangerous or more likely to be dangerous or attack in some way. And mm. in many ways, that's it's kind of the opposite. Because number one, in general, most rescue places will go through a lot of training Absolutely. and t- to talk you through all the problems. Whereas a puppy, you've no idea. You've not, you've not, yeah. but it's all going to be down to how you nurture it. And again, I, I kind of, part of me wishes that there was, that you had to get a, a license to get a dog and things, things like that. Because again, most of the problems with dogs is the owners, not the dog. All Agreed. of the problems is the owners, no not the dogs. There are no bad dogs. There's only bad owners. Yeah, and there's I've I've known a load of different staffies over the years and rotties and all of these dogs that are seen as these dangerous, yeah. scary dogs. And then the most, the ones I've met have been the most adorable, friendly, loving, cute dogs. They just happen to be built, yes, the you way know, they are. really muscly in the way they are. And that means that there's a lot of people who will say, well, they should have muzzles, they should have this, they should have yeah. that. So, no, the owner should know how to should have a train. harness for them rather than a lead and should know Absolutely. all the different things to be, be able to actually control them rather than yeah. just sl- sl- sling them out in the world and then the dog get, yeah. gets the blame for... Yeah, it's, it's always instincts. the humans. Dogs are, dogs come to you like babies do. You know, you're just... It's about how you treat them and how you train them and all that, all of yeah. that kind of stuff, you know. There are no bad dogs. There are only bad owners. And you can, it's really easy to screw up a dog in a really short amount of time. And then people panic and they're like, I don't want it anymore. I don't want this hassle anymore. And they hand them over, Mm. you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a really sad fact, but you know, like Staffordshire Bull Terriers, they were originally bred to look after children. They were called nanny dogs. Yeah, the nanny dogs. Yeah, completely. Which I just find fascinating. And now, you know, people use them for fighting. It's, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Again, all of the ones I've met have been the biggest idiots you've ever met of a dog they're such stupid little animals they're so soppy and loving Mm. it's like this is meant to be a scary this is what i grew up knowing as this is is one of the scary breeds yeah stay away from that dog this idiot is scary he's he's like yeah anyway (laughs) let's let's talk about acting as well rather than just a whole podcast about dogs um (laughs) another thing that we were discussing before we got started was the constant appearance in your life or the constant presence in your life of acting if you are an actor even Mm. when you're not acting if that makes sense because as you were saying particularly if you've been in a series for a long time even if you've got a a day off you might not have a day off you might find and again often quite late because if shooting wraps late in the evening and they've overrun or something else you Mm. might find out late that night that you're in tomorrow or that you're not in tomorrow and you thought you were how do you find that as a, a person with a family and with animals and with all sorts of other stuff. Like, how do you find, how, how do you balance that, I guess, at this stage? <sighs> we'll mean, go through the rest of yeah. your life. But at this stage, it seems like the best point to, yeah, to look at. it's really hard. It, mm. I mean, there really isn't any balance. And for someone, you know, who's quite OCD, yeah. you know, and loves a list yeah. and loves to plan, it's really, really, really difficult. You know, the, the job I do is 52 weeks a year. You know, you're paid to be there every single day. You know, it's six o'clock in the morning till seven in the evening. And then, as you know, you're learning lines for the next day. So yeah. it's a really, really, I think I think people don't actually realise what a big job it is mm. and how long the hours are. Yeah. They sort of tend to focus on what you get paid or what's in the news that what you get paid and they go, that's outrageous. And then when you tell them you're doing, you know, 80 to 90 hours a week, yeah. all of a sudden it makes sense. But, you know, like today, for instance, having today off, and you know, I've been up since six. I've walked three dogs for an hour, then one dog for half an hour because he's got a slip disc. Right. You know, I've, I thought my house is a tip, so I quickly cleaned the house. <laughs> I quickly washed my hair. I thought he's going to want to have a picture, so I better wax some makeup on. Um, you know, and the rest of my day is planned out. Yeah. You know, I've got to see the doctor this afternoon. I've got to go and get a dentist appointment at some yeah. point. And then, but then, you know, and I don't have a dog walker today. And then there was a possibility the other night that I was going to be working today. And I was like, no, I don't want to work today. I've yeah. got this plan and this plan and this plan. And it's chaos. It's yeah. absolute chaos. It's completely handing over any kind of scheduling or routine that yeah. you might might want to have and going, here you go, mess that up however you wish. Yes, and it does of, happen frequently. Yeah. And it's it's really hard, I suppose, as well, when you have a kid because she's... 
nearly five now. And when she was a baby, you know, she didn't notice that I wasn't there or I wasn't putting her to bed or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Now she really notices, you know, and she can talk about how she knows that your mummy, you're never there and you never take me to school and you never pick me up from school and things like that. And um, I think that's the reason I sort of come to the decision to exclusively tell you that I've decided to leave Holby. Right. So, yeah, I just signed my last six month contract and I'm going to leave in May and it's time for me to spend some time with her. Oh, wow. That's that's a huge. And again, that's been a huge part of your life for for such a long time. Mm. So that must have been a big. It was. It's 14 years I've been there. Yeah, Yeah. and um, I think it's a culmination of things. You know, I had a really stressful storyline recently that I I wasn't particularly keen on doing, but I did in the end. And it was sort of the nail in the coffin for me because I think, you know, you know this, as an actor, you give so much of yourself to the job. And I think we're all guilty of giving far too much and having nothing left. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And it's time to be a housewife there you go. I mean, it feels like a, a perfect point to make that decision as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because of the, the the toll it will have taken of you, but the storyline itself has been, you know, a really praised one and an, an important one in in the press, and and rightfully so. And I can completely see how you could go. Well, what more is there for, for, for me to do mm. now? If you know, what I mean, if if, if, yeah. if, if, if fourteen years in. I've done this big moment that's that's probably the going to be the 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 iconic bit of that character. Yeah. It's all been building up to that. It's like, well, what do we just go back to? Yeah. This now. So let's let's talk about it a bit. Are, are your character had um, a huge mental health storyline yes. and it was all about again it's weird speaking about this after we've just talked about how much work there is in acting, but it was about everything getting so on top of her and quite realistically not not being able to cope. Yeah. Um, I think it was really important for a character like that as well, because I think s- s- some of the most intelligent and with it and together people I know haven't even considered the idea of having any help for their mental health. Yeah. And it's, 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 mental health is often, because it's so talked about now. Yeah. Often people think, well, everyone knows to get help, but it's still, there's a pride, there's, there's, there's there all is. sorts of strange things that are against getting therapy or getting help and having a character who's been the kind of almost the maternal and paternal figure in Holby for a long time, kind of the strong figure, Mm. have those struggles and have to experience them in the way as she did. It felt really strong and felt really important. So how was that? Why were you reluctant to to get involved in the storyline initially? Reluctant because I suffered my own nervous breakdown three years ago. Right. Probably nearly four now. And obviously, you know, being one of those strong people and always thought I was a strong person, always like, you know, I don't need therapy, it's fine, I'm going to fix it, it's not a problem. And then, you know, sort of uh, 10 months into having my child, I just just couldn't cope. Mm. You know, I'd gone back to work, the hours were crazy, the scripts, you know, the scripts were wrong, I was getting on set not knowing what I was doing and I'd felt for weeks that I wasn't right and something was wrong and I felt like something was coming and I didn't know what was coming mm. and then I just had this meltdown on set wow. and I was uh, subsequently sort of walked off set by a lovely director called Steve Brett who said just go and get some help and I did I went to my doctor and he signed me off with stress and I and I was supposed to start therapy like two days later but that night I I walked out the house in my pajamas wow. without my phone without any shoes didn't know where I was going thankfully ended up at a friend's house a few miles away who then called my partner to come and get me and and it it turns out I was suffering from depersonalization and depression. Mm. And so having been through that and sort of coming out the other side and doing sort of intensive therapy and, you know, Holby knew about that. Yeah. You know, because I was obviously off from work. All the producers knew about it. And abruptly as well. And abruptly, you know, they had to write me out and it was very important to me that they knew that. And then all of a sudden, three years later, they sit me down in an office and they say, so Jack's going to have a nervous breakdown. And I literally just went, what? Excuse me? <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Why? And they were like, well, we think it's important, you know, and she's been going through all of this stuff. And and I was like, but you know that I've been through this. So why would you choose the person who's been really sort of out there shouting about mental health for the last three years mm. and has mental health issues? Why would you choose me to do this? Mm when you know that this is an issue for me. And they didn't really have an answer. And that really bothered me and it made me very angry. Yeah. 
And I sort of went out of that room and called my agent instantly and just said, I'm not doing this. I think this is too much to ask of me. I don't want to put myself in that situation again. And it got pretty heated, actually. It got to a point where I nearly quit. Right, wow. And uh, especially when they told me that I was going to be sectioned. Mm. Um, and my mother's been sectioned many years ago, and I know how hard and, and awful that is. Yeah. And... In the end, it was Kate Oates who called me up. She's the new head of uh, continuing drama at yeah. the BBC. She called me up and she was the first person to actually go, I had no idea. I'm really sorry. If you don't want to do oh, wow. this storyline, we will absolutely pull it. And I sort of talked her through all the reasons why I didn't want to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And she was pretty amazing. And she used to be a Samaritan. I don't know if anybody knows that, but right. she did. So she was kind of talking me down in some ways as yeah. such. And she, you know, she gave me the options and she said, look, I get all the reasons that you don't want to do it. We can completely pull the whole storyline. We can make the storyline much less than it, than it is so that you don't put yourself in any danger. Or you can take a look at all the scripts in advance and we do it the way you want to do it. Mm. And, you know, you'll get your weekly therapy sessions that we will pay for, which they did, because obviously I needed it at that point. Yeah. And she gave me a couple of days to think about it. And I was a no up until about 10 minutes before the next conversation with her. And then I decided that I'd do it. Wow. And the reasons I decided to do it was because I'm a woman who has a very impactful job in some ways to a lot of people and a lot of, I have a voice yeah. that I can use. And it's a very hard job. It's very long hours. And I wanted to go out there and I wanted to show women and, and men as well that this can happen to the strongest people. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to be a, a wife and a mother and to bring money home and to do all of those things and not have anything left for yourself. And it can, you know, it can affect your mental health. And I thought, well, if this reaches some people and if this does some good, then is it worth doing? Yeah. And it was in the yeah. end. And it was really, really bittersweet for me because I did have to go to therapy every week. It was of such importance that I went and I had those sessions to talk mm. myself down out of what I was doing. And then to see the episode go out last Tuesday night and apparently we trended number one on Twitter for yeah. something like yeah. six hours or something. I mean, I don't know anything about Twitter, so apparently <laughs> that's good. But, I, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. And... The BBC commissioner sent me an email and Kay Oates sent me an email and I got the most amazing messages from people and probably about a thousand messages on Instagram. Mm. And I sort of dipped into them because you can't read them all and they were all from people saying, I'm going to go and get help. And, amazing. you know, I watched your stuff tonight and it made me realise that I've been ignoring how I'm feeling and been ignoring what I'm going through and thank you for being so strong and getting out there and, and doing it even though you didn't want to. And that makes it worth it. Yeah, for me, 100%. you know. So, yeah, again, it's horribly bittersweet because I don't want to say I love doing it and I'm really glad I did it mm. because I didn't yeah. love doing it. But I'm glad I did it for the people that it will help. It's 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 a really interesting thing that I think gets overlooked over, a lot. That there's certainly a certain area of society who will be able to be reached through drama who wouldn't be reached through documentaries or through if you wrote an yeah. amazing article about or what you'd been through personally, or even if you did a documentary about what you'd been through personally, there's certain people who would go, oh, that's that, that's not my kind of thing, but will watch a drama on a, a subject. It's why I think a lot of the the great true life stories, um, the, what was, um, or When They See Us recently on Netflix, yeah. and again, there'd been documentaries about that, but that being dramatised, reached that many more people and I think it's a, a similar thing here as mm. as horrible as it was for you to go through it, it will have reached people that couldn't have been reached by you doing posts about mental health and yeah. doing all these different things that so many of us try and do and try and get out there that they are things that will be scrolled past because they can yes whereas a storyline in something that they're invested in and watch week in week out mm -hmm. they can't just scroll past they have to watch and take it in and accept it and, and i think involved. that's kind of the the reason things like that can have a bigger impact than people might realize when they're writing it or making it or people who don't watch that particular show might realize yeah might not realize if you know what i mean so yeah it's, i think that's an amazing thing yeah it's the silent thing isn't it i think again it's it, the reason people don't it's it's not got enough attention because it's the silent yeah. It's a silent killer. It's a yeah. silent problem. You know, people just don't understand it. And and again, there's so much, as a, a, a female British character, there's so many reasons it's important to address that because 
for a long time, women were told to write all their troubles in a diary and never let anyone see it. Yes. And have a lock on your diary and it's yes. hidden away. All you're writing, all that kind of thing, it's all this personal hidden thing. Mm. So there's that to get over. And then there's the British stiff upper lip. <laughs> yes. Oh, 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 we don't complain thing to get over. So there's two big hurdles there, which mm. makes it that the right character and you the right person to kind of have told that story. But again, something that people will overlook as acting has become content and entertainment more than art mm. which again i think is a shame but that's how it's viewed so yes. so much they may people because we have so much of it you take for granted what may go into it absolutely um, again particularly like me and, and and brett goldstein who does a great podcast as well he always talks about how he he, he never likes to talk negatively about a film because mm. even if he watches it and hates it he knows how much work I went into that and no one was planning on because he's been there he's like oh that's and because as he will admit he's been in some bad films and he's gone wow we all worked really hard on that and it's really bad that wasn't expected so but I think they're not realising the art side of it it's it's weird timing because I saw Honey Boy last night oh my gosh I really want to see that it blew me away and it's it's, it's about that it's written by Shia LaBeouf and you realise at the end that it's essentially the story of the fucked up childhood that made him such a good actor. Yeah. And there's a point where there is some therapy there where he's saying, you can't fix me because I won't be good at my, my job anymore. And it is that weird thing of some yeah. of the most emotional and amazing performances are because of some really tough things in the past. And that really r- 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 rings true with that Holby storyline is... Yeah the brave choice that you took to take it on. Because again, it would also have been fine if you had said continued no, yeah. said no. Because yeah. it's like, well, your real life is more important than any of that. But the choice of going through that, it then made you the perfect person to play that storyline because you had so much that you could tap into and draw upon, I guess. Yeah. But again, that does mean it's taking you back to that place. It's not just turn up. No. Do your thing and cut and, all right, guys, I'll see you all tomorrow. <laughs> no, no. That was fun. Definitely not. No, um, it was a good 20 minutes after that scene where I was finally able to sort of pull myself off the floor. But Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. But again, it's, it's, it's what gets those amazing performances. But yeah, I guess that was, was kind of the point there. It's easy to watch that and, and, move, and I think that with all film and TV these days, it's so easy for us to watch it and move on. I really enjoyed when... Um, Gaspar Noe was doing interviews after Irreversible and it got a lot of stick because there's a really uncomfortable and unpleasant and unflinching rape scene in it. Mm. And people were saying it's 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 horrific to watch. He's like, it's rape. Yeah, it's supposed it to be. It should be horrific to watch. He's yeah. like, you're meant to... I don't want you just continuing to, to eat your popcorn and going, all right, I wonder how they're going to get revenge for this <laughs> or whatever. It's yeah. like, no, it should be horrific. And... It was put perfectly. And that can, again, it's a fine line because art and kind of grief porn or or any of these other things is a a weird one. But yeah, it's exactly that. It's it's meant to have these impacts and it feels like that, particularly from the reaction online, that Mm. storyline had that impact and caught people off guard a little bit. So yeah. Good. That's good. It's an amazing one. Well, let's rewind back and and, and kind of, because as you said, you've been, I mean, you've been in Holby for... Is it 14 or 15 years? 14 years. I'm on my 14th year. <sighs> 14 years. And you've been acting pretty much your whole life. So what was kind of the starting point in that? Both of your parents were in the industry in one way or another, right? Yes. Yeah, so my dad was a director. Yes. And my mum was an actress. Yes. And my mum never did a huge amount of work. Yeah. Um, and my dad was sort of, you know, directing weird, crazy 80s films like Hawk the Slayer and, and then yes. things like that. And then sort of went on to do, you know, The Bills and all that yeah. all that sort of stuff. Cat's Eyes, great series like that. And, um, and I think, you know, mum was a housewife and it just seemed like a natural thing for her to kind of push us into acting. And it certainly was, I don't remember having a choice. Yeah. Um, and I know that all three of us did it for a certain period of time. And yeah. she was our chaperone. So, yeah, since three. So, since three. That's so, 30, 39 years. Wow. Yeah, where's my OBE? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really long, 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 long time. Yeah, but again, the weird part there is it's, I guess it's all you've ever known as well. Because yeah. from such an early age, it not being an option, it's just, well, this is... This is what this I This is do. how life is. And yeah. this is, is, is what I do and I draw from these... Yeah, I, I go out there and, 
and perform, was it exciting at first or was it, do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the first jobs I did when I was about three was play a fairy at the National Theatre for Gavin Miller and A a Midsummer Night's Dream. And, you know, no three-year-old is going to be like, I don't want to wear fairy wings and prance about on a stage. So I remember all of that stuff being really, really fun, you know, and doing the Bergeracs and... Um, weather in the streets and what the Dickens and working with amazing people like Joanna Lumley and wow. uh, Ben Cross and 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 people like that and you know not going to school yeah. and going to a set and dressing up and getting gifts and things like that and, and doing and, stuff like that was really fun and getting praise again yeah. it's, it's, it's something that I, I talk about on the podcast a lot because I always remember really early episode when I had Riz Ahmed on he said he did a play at school and. It was just another thing at work. And then he got an email of one person to say he was good. And he realised that at that point as a kid, he wasn't told he was good much. Mm. You know, he didn't get loads of people always saying, oh, you're wonderful. Someone told him he was good in that one play and it's spawned his whole career. Because he's like, all right, I want more of that. I want people to tell me this more often. It's a a rewarding thing, particularly for a young mind. So, yeah, I can completely see how... And the kid on set is always going to be the one that people are like, Oh, isn't she wonderful? <laughs> it's going to get so again. I can completely see how that could be addictive in that oh, situation. Oh, absolutely! Going, wow, I get to be that person. I go on there, and everyone adores me. Yeah, and I'm you know, and I'm one of three. I'm the middle child, you know, as well. So I've got that horrible stigma, and I believe in that stigma. You know, I was like, yeah. I'm the middle child. I get yeah. no attention. So this is about me. Um, no, I mean, I just loved it. I, I just remember just having a great time. And I think one of the best best times I had was doing a film for Talia Shire. Shiri, right. Shire, Shiri. Mm-hmm. One of the Coppolas. She right, played yes. Adrian right. oh, in wow. all the Rocky films. Yes. And she decided that she was going to do her own film. And it was, oh, a, wow. it was a bad film. It was called Hyper Sapien, People from Another Planet. And I played an alien. And we oh, shot wow. in Canada for two months. At what, at what age was that, roughly? I was eight. I, I was eight. Wow. And it was incredible. And I remember sort of being out in Canada with my mum and you know we would it was just us having fun and you know I'd get to my trailer and there was like a BMX in there with a great big red bow on it and there was another film shooting down the road called the rad rad team or something it was some silly Amazing. 80s film and we'd like play baseball games against them and we all had t-shirts and hats made say rad busters it was like working on a film as well that had a really good budget and and things like that it yeah. was really interesting at that age too yeah but it's been pretty non-stop actually since I was I was three, you know. Yeah, it's and constant, right? But obviously having to go to school and doing GCSEs and trying to find something to fall back on that I was good at as well was pretty tough. How were you at school in, in, in studies um, rather than, not than, good. than performance? Not no? good, no. I mean, I was very good at art. Um, I was good with English. Um, a lot of everybody in my family is pretty erudite. I mean, yeah. look at my sister, for yeah. God's sake. So, yeah. um, Pre- Previous guest. Yes. Kelly Marcel. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> overachiever of the family. Um, so, you know, and she's, she's, you know, she's terribly well-read and well-written and everything. And so we've always had that. My mother's a very intelligent person. Yeah. You know, my father's very clever as well. Yeah. But um, no, not good at school. Didn't have a lot of friends because I was apparently, you know, up my own ass because I was constantly not there and sure. thought I was wonderful and mm. all of that stuff, which was not true at all. It's a fascinating one how often you hear that. I remember mm. on hearing, I think it was on Vicky McClure on, on the How to Fail podcast talking about, because again, I assume anyone who's a successful actor as a child, they're going to be the cool kid at school. But that seems no. to so rarely be the, the case in situation. Zari Ashton's book is amazing and it, it, it addresses that that she was a complete outcast because mm. she was on tv yeah and and it's it's a weird one but also it's fascinating hearing there the becoming you know articulate and well-read through being around articulate and well-read people yes. rather than through the the school system mm. i've got a lot of issues with our school system and how <laughs> so much of it is memory based rather than education based and things mm. like that and that's a, a great example because both you, you and Kelly are two of the most articulate people I talk to and have views on all sorts of things. And it's like to hear you didn't do great in school yeah. is is fascinating because it's like, right, so what's the importance of that shit when if you're around yeah. people who are talking and growing your brain in a way that can't be marked on a list and say yeah. you're 
this level, then that's the important part. Absolutely. Well, you're, you know, you're you're in rooms with very grown-up people and you have responsibility at yeah. a very, very young age and you learn very quickly and you grow up very quickly as well, which is kind of the sad part of it. But you have to learn to hold your own in a room, you know, yeah. pretty, pretty early on. And while that stands you very well when you're in a classroom of other 12-year-olds, you know, and you're, you're the brave one and the one yeah. who can stand up and go, I know, you know, and have ideas yeah, and... Yeah. It, it, it doesn't stand you well as, as, you know, with friendships and with actual GCSE. I got one GCSE. Wow. You know, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then I worked hard and I went to college and I, you know, I retook and I got A-levels and things like that. And all the while, if there, a job came up, I'd be going for that job. Yeah. So the acting always came first because it was a way of earning money. I did enjoy doing it. I don't think I'm similar to other actors in that, it's what drives me and it's what I live for. Mm. That's not the case for me at all. I, en- yeah. I enjoy what I do and I love what I do and that's great, but it's not or never has been the be-all and end-all for me. It's, it's, it's fascinating to think of, I mean, we started off kind of talking about life now, how you have to tr- drop everything if a role comes up, but it's, it's fascinating to think of that in, in school years because, of course, you're not going to be able to make many friends or mm. or maintain f- friendships because at the drop of a hat you're in Canada yeah doing a film and you, you, and you're missing Claire's birthday and yeah. and all, and all these other things and again there will always be that jealousy that that looks as if you're thinking you you're not there because you're better than these people or whatever else or something no I've got work but as it yeah as kids you can't comprehend someone saying I've got work we're kids Absolutely. Work isn't a thing for kids. It's not something that we understand yet. So having that from such an early age, that's such an unusual and unique juxtaposition, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird. So um, one of the things on my list, I wrote three exclamation marks and big question marks because as I mentioned earlier before we got rolling, I didn't, it hadn't twigged, but Press Gang. (laughs) How was that to be part of? Oh God, it was so good. Because I remember that as as, like watching that and it being... So exciting. And Dexter Fletcher, again, and, and another previous guest, he's in both of the ones I, I, I looked to, but Bugsy Malone and Press Gang yeah. were the two things that as kids you went, I know, you can, I know. The, the, that, that's people like us. That's, yeah. that's, that's not these grown-up actors or cartoons. It's, it's us. And, yeah. and our generation. Yeah. Our generation. And what was fascinating as well, I talked about Press Gang the other day and hadn't talked about it in years. And I was, because I was in Romania with this film crew and one of the guys was about 37, 38. And I said, oh, and for some reason I said, I mentioned Press Gang and he went, what's that? And I was just like, oh, it was like an audible gasp. But it's that only sort of such a small period of three or four years and people don't know what Press Gang is. And it was groundbreaking. It was just, it was, you know, it was visceral and it was intelligent and it was about this school paper and it was addressing issues that it had, you know, that we hadn't talked about on telly and it was kids talking about it. And to be involved in that as this kind of naughty schoolgirl, you know, if I say that now, it's fine. But, you know, as (laughs) as a young, you know, girl who got to play tricks on everybody and work with Paul and people like that, it was such a great job. Yeah. And we were at um, Pinewood Studios doing it, you know, Memphis Bell was shooting there. So there's people like Eric Stoltz walking about and stuff like that. It was just probably the time of my life actually working on Press Gang because every episode we were doing something stupid. Every episode we were doing something fun as his lackeys. You know, I've got pictures of me dressed up as a giant turtle. You know. Well, that's what I think is great (laughs) about it because, again, at that point, anything that kids were in, they were playing quite straight playing school children. Mm. And that and although you were school children in this, you weren't straight playing school children because no. it wasn't it was more than just a student magazine or or whatever. Yeah. It was so much bigger and so much grander and so many bizarre situations to get in that yeah, I just I don't I hadn't seen that before. Yeah. Again, you you'd always had your Grange Hills and your stuff like that, but that was well that's school. That's what we were at. That's, that's so familiar. Yeah. So, yeah, that must have been an amazing, amazing one. To... And everybody was amazing as well. There wasn't like, you know, you often go on to a job and there's sort of, there's one bad egg. There's yeah. always one bad egg. Yeah. But on that, I just don't remember anybody not just having the best time of their lives, you know, and Dexter was wonderful and Julia was wonderful and everybody was just welcoming and lovely and sweet. And it was just, it was one of those jobs and they're very, very rare where you look forward to going to work. Yeah. 
you know, and you look forward to what you're shooting that day and you go home with a big smile on your face. Yeah. That was what was great about Press Gang. I love it. I love it. So, <laughs> I mean, again, we've discussed the constantness of working in acting, of mm. it being this constant thing. Having started at such a young age, it's kind of telling that the only real time off you've had over your career has been for health issues. Yeah. So, so kind of how's that been to kind of... Because it has been stop-start in that way. It's yeah. such a long career, but there's been a few different points along the way that you've had to stop for extended periods. So yeah. how's that been um, for you in having to, to, to have those things that pull you away from it and put you back and pull you away and put you back? It's, it's frustrating. That aren't a kind of, I'm choosing to have a break yeah. from this now. It'd be different if it was like, oh, I took a couple of years off because I wanted to. this happened yeah. or I did this or did that. It's like, no. It's frustrating. Yeah. I think, you know, health problems obviously is not something any of us can control, you yeah. know, and I was, I'd had a really amazing career up until that point as well. Yeah. You know, I'd never, ever stopped working. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and to suddenly get sick and sick for no reason with no sort of warning is frightening yeah. and frustrating and, you know, blew the bank balance. Anything I'd ever saved was gone, right, you know, yeah. and that's hard. It's a hard thing to deal with, you know, because you can't really support yourself or, or anything like that as well. So, you know, it's, it's I think it's very difficult for anybody who gets sick in any industry, not just the acting industry, is yeah. to lose your, you, you lose your sense of, of being and your sense of self-worth. And, you know, I was, I remember being on disability for a couple of years and to get that check was a, oh, they made it so difficult. It's yeah. so difficult you know, to be someone who's on disability, you're looked at like you're a piece of rubbish. Yeah, and more and more so in recent years with, yes. with, with so much going on in the government, it becoming this harder thing. And again, there was a period, I think, when the there was the media pr- propaganda of, of benefit cheats and all mm. this kind of thing that then just, it made the general public okay with how hard it is for people who need yeah. these things. It's like, yeah, well, we need to... We don't want these these fictional people scamming all these... Mil- it's like, no, it's people who need this yeah. support and you're making it yeah. humiliating uh, and, and, and challenging yeah. and horrible in and every way. And it just, way. it ruins you, you know, and it's it's so debilitating and, and it's so bad for your mind and so bad for your body and you just feel, you know, you feel terrible and it's really, really hard to, you know, sort of get help. with. It, 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 interestingly, and I, it's a funny thing to sort of throw it, throw it to, but... When I posted about the dogs in Romania, I had a lot of people say to me, what about dogs in England? You shouldn't be promoting dogs in Romania. And I, and I never respond to anybody on Instagram. Yeah. But I put, oh, what? Romanian dogs coming over here and stealing our jobs. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, that's how you're sort of similarly looked at, you know, when you're an ill person yeah. who needs money from the government for you to survive. And I've always been, you know, we, you know this from me and Kelly and Luke, you know, we're very independent yeah. people. Yeah. We have, although we've had you know, a father figure throughout her life and a mother figure up to a certain point um, until she decided to leave, which was obviously the best thing for her. We have grown up extremely strong, independent people. And to my own detriment sometimes as well, you know, because I'm incredibly good at putting walls up. But to be such a strong person through your entire life and then to be so sick to the point of nearly losing your life... Mm you just feel like such a weak human being and it's yeah. just, and it's really, really hard. So most of my spare time now is spent trying to stay healthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's a couple of interesting things there of the putting, the naturally putting walls up. And I think that, that you know, that can be a family thing at times, mm. not specific to your family, but... No, anybody. But in, in, in general, if, if you've had such a unique life in that way of, mm. again I talk a lot about how the weird intenseness of friendships on set mm. that are then over and yeah. they're gone and you invest yourself and then they're on to the next role and you've not got a next role mm. it's like well, I've lost that I've been friend. left behind was, yeah. we were really close <laughs> for a bit so and fitness so I mean how have you found all that in recent years in in having you know a partner and a life and and the reason it came to mind is he's in fitness. So that's that's kind of handy. It means that there's that extra, that's someone helping you along. Because I think that on on fitness a lot, for some people, for me, it's very much, I need to get my mind in in place. And I've not been one that I'd rather work out alone than with other people and so on and so forth. But also, I'm also aware that it's also quite common and quite natural that if you've got someone else kind of going, let's 
let's keep this Absolutely. up and keep that. So has that helped in your... Like yes. having that in your relationship as oh. part of like, well. rather than you both being, again, <laughs> rather than, like I, I have problems at times with me and my partner that will be like, or, or if we go on an unhealthy binge, it will be a really unhealthy binge for a really <laughs> extended time and, and we won't stop until we're apart. And then we're apart and we'll both go, right, I'm going to eat healthy again. Yeah. But if we go into that and yeah, so mm. it's kind of, it's those weird things that can be positive and negative, I guess. Interestingly, when I first met, Ben, here I am, a horrible cliche that ended up getting together with my personal trainer. Uh, And I'm much older than him, so a a cougar to boot. Um, I was very, very into the workout. You know, I was like, you know, this guy's hot. I'm going to impress him. You know, I worked my ass off for him in those sessions. Do you know what I mean? I'd do anything he told me. He was like, give me 20 burpees. I was like, yeah, you know, and I'd get down and give him 20 burpees. And now we're married and been together such a long time. If he... If I work out with him and he tells me to do something, I'm like, no, yeah. why? Yeah. Just because you're married to me doesn't mean you can boss me about. Can't tell me what to now do. Now it's, oh, it's completely different. I love it. He's like, no, because it's part of the work. And I'm like, no, I don't feel like doing that. So actually I find it easier not to work out with him yeah, now. brilliant. You know, and also he's rather lovely to look at. And if he starts sweating, it, you know, it's just very exciting for me. <laughs> um, so I try to do as much exercise as I can. But again, with the schedule that I have... Yeah it's nigh on impossible. Even with a gym sitting at the bottom of our garden, yeah. I'm not in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've hoovered the kitchen. And that's yeah, yeah, why yeah. I exercise for the day. But um, I take a huge array of vitamins every yeah. day because uh, with my various diseases, it's very hard for me to hold on to any sort of uh, vitamins in my body. Right. So I do that and I have every intention of buying myself a treadmill at some point or yeah. going running with one of the dogs. Yeah. But when I do have extended periods of time off, you know, I had three weeks off after the big storyline and I just got straight back into exercising and I was exercising three to five times a week mm-hmm. and, you know, doing CrossFit, which you yeah. do as well, yeah. actually it, your body stays in relatively good shape yeah. even yeah. when you're not working out because it's so intense. And because it's all functional. Exactly. So it's preparing you for what you're going to be doing day to day. Therefore, if you're just active day to day, it's keeping it topped up. Exactly. Now, as long as you're healthy with it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so. and you can get back into it quite easily as yeah. well. And the other thing about CrossFit is, is, you know, you go and you do a class and it doesn't matter what level you're at. There's people at, you know, super high levels in those classes and then yeah. there's people like me who are the last finishers, but everybody's standing around me going, go on, Rosie, Let's you do can it. do yeah. it, and clapping it. you along. And I think that kind of exercise is, is really good for you. And, and mentally as well, it's... It's my go-to. If I'm not going to go and have therapy, I'm going to go and do some exercise. Yeah, I think those two things come so hand in hand, or Mm. can do. Again, I think there's also a problem with people shaming people into exercising at the moment, Mm. and I don't agree with that either. I think there is a balance. But do you think the health issues that you've had in the past are something that have motivated you to to be healthy and 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 live to your best? If you know what I mean. I know you've done some martial arts over the years and stuff like that. Do, do you feel any of that is from that period where it was kind of taken away from you for an amount of time? You couldn't do these things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, again, very determined and very stubborn and, you know, I won't admit I'm hurt at yeah. any point, you know, have had to take these periods of, of enormous rest. Yeah. Um, and it has kind of galvanised me to do better for myself. But also I think having a child as well, you know, several of my diseases have probably cut my life short by about 10 to 20 years. Yeah. You know, and so I'm going to lose that time. And so I need to do whatever I can to extend my life mm-hmm. as such. Um, so yes, I do try and stay healthy for those reasons. Yeah. And I simply won't be told I can't do something yeah. either. I it that. really, really irritates me, you know. And Ben is very similar in that sense. You know, he won't work out for months and then he'll go and do a competition. And he's so annoyingly determined that he'll win. Yeah. And then he'll have like rhabdo or something for, for two days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, think, <laughs> I think I just have to. I'm just one. I simply refuse to lie down. Yeah. And yep, I'm sick and I have several diseases and problems with my body, but I'll be effed if I can't carry on with my life yeah and do what i want to do and i don't have a choice yeah that's the other part i don't have a choice <laughs> yeah you know i have mental health issues i have health issues i have a choice i make a choice every day to not be depressed yeah and get up and do something about it and that's it it's sink or swim and i have my low days like everybody else does but it really is about making choices 
Yeah. And I, that's where your control comes in. I think you're com- completely right. A, a breakthrough I had on, on the fitness front is the easiest example, was removing choice from stuff. So rather than mm-hmm. do I want to work out this morning, so like, I've got to do that. So now, and then once that's out the way, I can get on with the rest yeah. of my stuff. So rather than it being, oh, but yeah, just psychologically going, right, it's not a choice. I've got to, and again, yeah. people will say that's not as easy to do, but you will do that for some job that you're in mm-hmm. that, that you don't love and you don't like the manager and you're not getting any, you're, you're earning someone else money. You will do stuff in that that you've not got a choice. Yeah. Equally, you've got a choice there. You could not do it, but you've been told you have to. So I think yeah. so much of that is... It's hard. It's psychological, yeah. I tend to think about the end result as well. Mm. So... I, I, there are mornings where I'm like, I don't want to go to the, I hate going to them. Even putting on my trainers and my trousers, I'm like, no, no, find a reason not to go. Yeah. And then I think about that feeling that you have afterwards yeah. where you're just like, I'm so glad I did that. I feel so good after that. And you have that rush of endorphins. Yeah. And that's what gets me to go. Completely. Knowing I'm going to have that feeling at the end of it. It's, it's going to sound mad, but my biggest motivation these days, about over a year ago now, I got into ice cold showers. Oh, yes. After a workout. I had Wim Hof on the podcast and he's this this genius on it all. And now there's points where I don't want to do my workout, but the feeling of an ice cold shower after a workout is just amazing. Now, previously it was this horrible thing, but now and I had someone on the podcast who talked about it. He said the way he puts it is he's he's never felt worse after a cold shower. Mm -hmm. He's he's not saying it's a solve all and will always, but he's never felt worse after one. And yeah. It's exactly that. that has now become my. Oh, I don't amazing. want to do my workout, but if I get a real sweat on and then have this cold shower, just <sighs> the feeling is this yeah, yeah, euphoric yeah. thing. Um, well, before we wrap things up, I want to jump back into acting because okay. no matter what actors I've had on that are British, from your Michael Fassbenders to your James McAvoy's or whomever else, mm-hmm. in America you've got all these acting schools and all these different ways of training. In England, you've got the Bill and Casualty, <laughs> and Holby City. Like, literally yes. everyone. And it's such, it's, it makes me sad that, the, 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 that they're vanishing. Yeah. Because literally, you, you, there'll be an actor that you'll think is the most method and all this kind of thing. You're like, oh, was in the bill for three episodes. And, yeah. and things like that. It's like, it's, they're such a key part of our... our Staple diet. ...training, I guess. Yeah. So, And you've done the big three, essentially, in, yeah. in, in the bill and casualty and of course a little bit of holding um <laughs> only a little so so how were they to be part of because again that must have felt like almost the going from school to college as yeah. as, as acting had been your school mm-hmm. that that did that feel like all oh, right i'm now in this this next area of it all yeah absolutely i mean the the, the bill and casualty and holby have always been an actor's staple yeah. you know so when anybody you know, when they were all around, thankfully, you know, two of them are still around, yeah. just about. You'd always say to your agent when you had a period of, you know, of no work, you'd be like, well, can't you get me a bill? Or can't you get me a casualty? Or can't you get me a Holby? Something yeah. just to tide me over. And to have those great shows that have always been there, you know, to, to bring you that little paycheck and give you that little job that you need is so comforting. Yeah. You know, and to to go into an episode of The Bill is just... was you know amazing and I think I did my first one with my dad I think yeah. you know my dad was directing the first one I did amazing I think I auditioned like everybody else because there's absolutely no nepotism in my family whatsoever um which is absolutely right and how it should be I do yeah. agree with it and um yeah so to do a job with him was amazing and to be around all these kind of like big actors and you know because the bill was a big thing Huge, you know yeah. in those days and sadly you know Holby and Casualty have kind of you know, it sort of dropped off that list a little bit. You know, we do sort of tend to start people's careers. Joy McAvoy was on yeah. an episode last yeah. uh, last week. I mean, she was shooting the episode, so it won't be on for a few months. You know, I, it took me forever to realise who her brother was and felt like yeah. such an idiot afterwards. Yeah. 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 Um, and not that her career is just starting, but it's a really great place to get your profile up and get your profile out there because it's watched by an inordinate amount of people. I think you can completely right in that it's a shame that it seems to be losing that that yeah. part of itself not that it's losing anything in in general but i think because there's now so many channels and so many outlets mm. and just online types options as well TV, yeah. and reality a tv completely that that has has stopped being a thing because again it is it is like you you look at all these and it does seem to be a few years back mm. um 
See, it is a shame to lose that and, and not have that back. Because turn their nose up too, unfortunately. Yeah. They turn their nose up to it now. Yeah. Because you know, there's such an importance now on, on training and things like that, which is something I never did as a yeah. kid. Um, now, if you're not trained, you know, you're nothing. But there's so much that you can learn from just being on yeah. set. Again, the thing I've had in my limited time as an actor is just always excited to get on set because each time I'm on, I've learned something. And normally it's a, it's a weakness I'll learn. I'll find out something <laughs> that's made me that I, I wasn't expecting to get nervous in that way or... I thought I knew it and then I got there and I didn't do it the way I've been practicing it. So why is that? Yeah. Where was the disconnect and, yeah. and things like that? And that's why it's different from being in a class or in a school because there is. is there are these, these disconnects. So you may need to find these mechanisms to go, mm. right, now here's how I get what I was doing at home to be the same as what I'm doing on camera in front of yeah. all these people after I've just been sitting around talking rather than... because. In the acting class I go to, he gives a great example. He's like, oh, when you nail it at home, going over lines, how often is it the first time you've done it? You're like, well, no, I've been doing it all afternoon and then mm. I've nailed it and I stop. It's like, right, well, on set... You're going to get one chance. That's the first time you're doing it. You're not going to get to do it all afternoon no. and then when you nail it, go, yes, I've got it. Yeah. And again, I've never thought of that. I'll, I'll practice and practice at home and think, right, I've got this. But yeah, yeah. what's that? That's it's you very need to different. get this and, and find how to get to that point where the first time you do it, every time you've got it. And... Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's just muscle memory as well, yeah. though. That's and it's one of the things you you learn. You know, it's 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 learning your craft. You know, we've had people on set who don't know what a mark is. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and you know, crossing the line and and yeah. things like that. And I, you know, I even though I've been acting for God knows how many years when I when I started on Holby. A, another actor taught me about cut points and it was something right, I'd yeah. never thought about. And I was always like, why is he always doing that? And then, you know, he'd do that yeah. or he'd put something down yeah. or he'd do something funny or move something. And I was like, he's giving them a cut point. So he's making sure that the scene ends on him. Yeah. This is Luke Roberts, by the yeah, way. Um, he played Joseph Byrne. And I learned from him. And the really funny part was for the last year that he was there, we were always doing cut points. And so it was like, he'd do a cut point and then I'd do a cut point. And it was like, <laughs> who's going to win? Who's going to get it to end on them? It's, it's, it's fascinating because that's the stuff that you can't, see until yeah. it's been shown to you I, yeah. I was on on set as we recalled this earlier this week and we were doing a scene and it was going well and the director came up after a couple of takes and said to to sarah who was opposite me after this particular line if you can do it naturally could you blink because mm. he had a little bit he wanted to flash in he knew in the script yeah. he needs to flash this in it's like if you just bl- blink I that's all i need yeah to get that edit other than that, it's going to feel false. So hearing just such a small little instruction, it's like, all I need is a blink. And then yeah. probably watching, you'll barely notice that that was where the edit is, but it will have led you there and will allow that yeah. to flow. And stuff like that, it's like, that's, 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 the that's fun learning. Stuff. That's where you're learning. That's yeah. the best. It's the fun stuff too as yeah. well, because you can, you can be in the background of a scene and you can steal it just by like dropping something in the back of a scene yeah. or falling over or going one way and going, no, this is the wrong way and going the other way. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times I've seen people do that. We had an essay do that the other day who totally stole a scene from me and Guy Henry yeah. just by walking past us in the background. Yeah. And it's just brilliant, stuff like that. That's what makes it fun and that's what makes, you know, you you find the reason to go in because you know you're going to do something interesting or fun that day. I love it. My third acting gig I was on Taboo and thankfully I was paired up with Stephen Graham and he just took me under his wing as, as, so much. Mm. But we've been, been doing this scene and it'd been going on for ages and then he leans over to me and we're about to start and he goes, he pulls me over like two steps. Mm. And I was like, I've always done that, but all right, I'm doing as I'm told. Yeah. And then when we cut, he was like, we're finally doing the, the close-up and because I've got the dialogue, if you move over two steps, you're going to be in the background oh. and it's going to look great. Yeah. If you're there... You're not in it. You'll be in a few of the wides, but we're not going to use... They probably won't use a lot of wides on this. So he knew that although we'd been doing the scene for ages, this was the one that counted to be in in the background, on the key line, in the key moment. And he just kind of edged me over. And I was like, oh, that's mad. Because I was so much as like, right, I need to... As I'm in the background, I need to make sure I'm losing myself in the world. I'm not trying to be in the background. Yes, yes. I'm trying to go, look, here I am in the background. I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm in the world... Just getting on with stuff, and he was like, "No, 
It's a balance of that. Yeah. You are in the world just getting on with stuff, but at this point, you're listening. You should be here because yeah. then you're you're part of it and you're on screen and yeah. That's so nice. It's, it's so like nice that. as well when you work with people like that as well who yeah. don't have ego and are willing to teach and willing to you know to to help people. And I love that. That's part of yeah. my favorite favorite thing and Having been at Holby for such a long time now, I've kind of become the matriarch, you know, and Lovely. Hugh Quash is the patriarch and, you know, people come to him and I for, for different yeah. things and different reasons. And, you know, I remember a young act- actress, she was sort of struggling with sort of finding what she was doing with her with her character and she was like, I don't know where my character's going and they're not really telling me. And I said, make it up. Mm. I said, do your own thing. I said, because if you put it in there, they'll think it's their idea yeah. and that then suddenly they'll start writing you like this. And unfortunately, you know, that sounds a bit rude, but with Holby, because there's 52 episodes a year, you have to put things in that and, are going to make sense and are going to galvanise you to want to go in and do that work. And it's completely true and a, a, a massive a lesson because the writer, no matter how great they are, has to worry about everyone's storyline. Exactly. If you worry about yours, yeah. then you can give more focus than the writer could possibly give and yeah. more background. Again, it's going back to Stephen Graham on my first day on set, he walked into makeup, introduced himself, and they said, Right, how do we meet? And I was like, mm. Well, we met oh, once a few years back, but I don't think you remember that. He's like, No, how did our characters meet? And he yeah. just, between backstory. us, we came up with this huge backstory of how we met. And it meant that the first a time we're on set we're old mates yeah and there's there's the, the, uh, there's all of this there and it's yeah I love the little That's the things like that rather than I'm here to do my scene and Here's my I've seen and yeah, I've done yeah. my scene exactly yes I yes. love it well I'll wrap things up as we've as we've we've gone over an hour now um, oh okay good uh, what's the plan I mean is there anything 14 years in a huge show like Holby is a massive achievement but mm-hmm. also it's a massive restriction yes there's going to be a, l- a lot you won't have been able to do either pro- professionally or personally yeah have you got stuff in mind already or are you kind of a well no when this is done mm. and i've now set my date i'll then start to think of what i want to do next or is there already a kind of i'd love to do something in this area or i'd love to do nothing and just not act for a bit and have some time off from acting where i'm not ill for the yeah. first time in my life. Yes, exactly. Uh, all <laughs> Some of those. healthy time Everything. off from acting. <laughs> Everything you just said. I'm a big fatalist. So yeah. I am, you know, what will be will be. Um, if someone offers me an amazing job and I feel like it's the right time to go for it, then I will. I'm very lucky that they're putting me up for a BAFTA for this performance, which is very sweet. So, they've, yeah. they've put me forward. It doesn't mean I'll make the shortlist. So at this point, you know, we'll see what happens. We might know by January whether yeah. I've made the shortlist or not. Having seen Glenda Jackson's performance the other day, though, I'm highly unlikely. Well. <laughs> um, so, you know, if I am lucky enough to make a shortlist, that will make a huge difference to my career. But the, taking this break was about getting healthy and spending time with my daughter. Mm. So my intentions at the moment are to take a couple of months at least where I'm not doing anything. I can get my health back on track. You know, down the suffragettes just for five minutes and take us back 10 years, you know, women's rights and all that. And I want to be a freaking housewife. Yeah. I want to take my kid to school. I want to walk my own dogs. I want to clean my own house. And I want to make dinner for my kid and my husband when they get home. That's what my plan is to do for some time. Is there any fear in the excitement of that? Because again, having been the 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 one out at work mm. for for the first few years of of of, of your daughter's a life mm. it's it's going to be a new thing it's exciting but again it's going to be a new yeah i mean i'll, I'll, I'll probably hate it after god get me out of this situation gonna, yeah. especially seeing as i'll have the entire summer with her as well yeah. so um there is fear in it but i i've spent so much of my life being afraid mm. and not understanding who i am and sort of finally getting to a point where i i do know who i am and i'm actually i actually quite like myself you know after many 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 years of disliking myself intensely and of course being in an industry where you're told you're not good enough constantly yeah. and i think one of the, the great benefits of being in holby for 14 years is i haven't had to be a jobbing actor and i haven't had to put myself out there for rejection for such a huge amount of time. So nothing really frightens me now. And in that 14 years, I've really honed my craft. And I know that if I got offered a spotty train spotter or any other random role, I could play it now better than I could have done 14 years ago. So fear isn't really a factor for me. Money will be a factor. 
Yeah, but I have a very wonderful husband who's looked after our daughter and holds down two gyms yeah. the entire time I've been working. He's been incredible. And I know he will provide for us and that will be absolutely fine. And he's doing that so that I get the opportunity to finally take the rest that I need. Yeah. So no fear in anything, really. If I have to go and clean houses again, I will. I Doesn't love it. bother me. I love it. Well, I'm very excited for all that is ahead. And thank you very much for... Oh, for, for your time, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was the lost episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm so glad it got to be out there in the end. So many important things discussed, in my opinion. So, yeah. And once again, I love Rosie dearly. So it was great to sit down and have these two conversations stretched out over time. So, yeah, amazing stuff. Um, I'll be back next week for my final guest of the year before we hit drunk car season. So um, that's something to be excited about. You know I'm going to end on a good one. This is a guest that I think I've been teasing since the first or second year of the podcast and they've never made it on until now so yeah tune in next week for that i'll see you then until then stay safe and stay sane ta-ta